You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. So the city of Somerville did a thing. Somerville, Massachusetts, population 82,000. Winner of the Best American City Award in 1972, 2009, and 2015, suburb of Boston, on the Mystic River, but not the setting of Mystic Pizza, the 1988 romantic comedy starring Julia Roberts that's set in Mystic, Connecticut. I looked it up. Anyway, Somerville did a thing earlier this month that I probably should have paused to note here on this thing I do, this podcast thing. The Somerville City Council revised its domestic partnership law to cover polyamorous families. Polytriads, quads, quints. Under its new domestic partnership ordinance, the New York Times reported earlier this month, the city of Somerville now grants polyamorous groups the rights held by spouses in marriage, such as the right to confer health insurance benefits or make hospital visits. Before we get to the inevitable, predictable right-wing freakout, which got a lot less traction than it would have if it weren't for COVID, Trump, the worldwide movement to fight anti-black police brutality, the climate catastrophe, and Nicki Minaj's pregnancy, and the way all of this shit kind of puts everything into perspective. I want to highlight first just how stupid it is that so many people are dependent on their romantic partners for health care, for health insurance. It's almost as dumb as getting health insurance through your employer because you could lose your job right when you need health care most, like say, during an economic crisis kicked off by a worldwide pandemic that could put you in the hospital? Like jobs, relationships sometimes end. Sometimes they need to end. And I don't know how many people I've spoken to over the years who needed to get out of a shitty relationship but couldn't because they were on their shitty partner's health insurance and needed health care. Don't know how many, but it is a large number. I have also spoken to countless good and kind people who needed to end shitty relationships but didn't want to because their partners, however shitty they might be, were going to lose their health insurance coverage if they dumped them. And it's no accident that it works this way. However, our employer-based health insurance system got started, something about World War II and wage freezes, it's complicated. Anyway, however this broken system of ours got started, as it functions now, Republicans, conservatives, employers love it because it gives employers tremendous power over employees. People remain in jobs they hate, sometimes working for people they hate, because they're terrified of losing their health insurance. Health insurance, health coverage, health care, it is mentioned eight times in the New York Times piece about Somerville granting polytriad, quads, quints, etc., some of the same rights married couples enjoy. It seems to be, in my reading of all the news stories about Somerville, the chief reason the Somerville City Council took this action There are people in committed poly relationships who don't have health care, who would have it if they were in committed relationships with just one other person. So it's only fair that the laws be changed to make sure poly people can get health care in the same broken, fucked up way that other people get health care. Seems to me that if conservatives want to remove one of the chief arguments in favor of recognizing poly relationships, at least based on this New York Times article, which was also one of the chief arguments made during the fight for marriage equality for same-sex couples – They would insist on making healthcare an individual right, not tying it to employment or marital status. But that presents a real conundrum for conservatives because they like a system that gives employers unchecked power, 
just as much as they like a system that traps people in unrewarding relationships. Anyway, a lot of the freakout that I saw from the right about Somerville's first-of-its-kind legislation was about how legalizing gay marriage, recognizing gay relationships, put us on this slippery slope that we are now careening down toward recognizing poly relationships. And that may be true. It's not that there are no rules now or that we didn't want rules at all, but we did ask for people to think more expansively about what love is and what love can be and what commitment looks like and what families can look like. And here we are, Somerville. I'm happy to be here in Somerville. I'd like everywhere to be Somerville. But the most hilarious and eerily familiar argument freakout from the right was how Somerville and other cities that might follow its lead would wind up creating polyamory or creating polyamorous relationships by normalizing or popularizing them. And it's undeniably true that the marriage equality movement began with a liberal city, San Francisco, creating a domestic partnership Registry for same-sex couples in 1982, which San Francisco's mayor, Dianne Feinstein, at the time vetoed to appease the Catholic Church. But domestic partnership registries didn't call gay couples into existence. San Francisco finally got its domestic partnership law on the books to stay in 1990. No, the existence of gay relationships and gay couples made the need for domestic partnerships clear, particularly in the wake of the HIV-AIDS crisis. And many early domestic partnerships were just registries that actually didn't confer any rights on the couple, only recognition. I actually entered into a domestic partnership with my boyfriend at the time in Madison, Wisconsin in 1991, and it granted us no rights. It was literally a piece of paper that said, okay, so there you are, a same-sex couple in Wisconsin of all places. Good luck, you two. Now, for ages, social and religious conservatives believed that denying rights to gay people was important because denying rights to gay people would somehow prevent gay people from gaying. If they could prevent us from forming relationships by throwing legal and social obstacles in our paths, we wouldn't exist in a public way. Oh, we could and we did have sex back when we couldn't exist publicly. And the leaders and spokes assholes at the time for religious right organizations then didn't really object to gay sex all that strenuously. So long as it was furtive, because it was criminalized, so long as it was stigmatized and anonymous, they were kind of okay with it. So long as we gay people had the decency to feel bad about being gay and keep it hidden and refrain from forming lasting relationships because life partners, unlike anonymous sex partners, are impossible to hide effectively. The religious bigots who ran the world were willing to tolerate gay people having anonymous sex in bushes and bathhouses and the bathrooms of a few squalid mob-run gay bars. Some religious conservatives were so okay with anonymous gay sex that they regularly dropped by those bathhouses to have some of it for themselves. It was gay relationships they opposed, two men or two women living together, because that made it impossible for straight religious conservatives to pretend gay people didn't exist, or to keep their children, who might be gay, from realizing that they weren't the only ones. Poly relationships now have a leg up on gay relationships then. They're not legally recognized outside of Somerville, but they're not crimes. You can't get arrested for having more than one romantic partner. And just like same-sex marriage, legal now in all 50 states, just as same-sex sex is also legal now in all 50 states, the law that Somerville passed isn't creating social change where poly relationships are concerned. It's recognizing social change that has already happened. Poly relationships didn't magically appear in Somerville this month after the law was passed, just as gay couples didn't magically appear in the United States after Windsor and Obergefell, the Supreme Court decisions that legalized same-sex marriage in the United States. 
continuing to deny legal recognition to committed poly relationships, which exist and have always existed. It's actually a relationship model that has existed in more and less problematic forms since the dawn of humanity. Denying legal recognition to committed poly relationships isn't going to prevent people from entering into them any more than denying legal recognition to gay couples prevented us from entering into same-sex relationships. Poly people, poly relationships exist. They shouldn't have to hide just as we shouldn't have had to hide and they should be protected under the law. And health insurance should be a right. All right, coming up on today's show on the Micro Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and joining me on the Magnum, which you can subscribe to at savagelovecast.com. More questions, more guests, no ads. Dr. Justin Lay Miller joins us. He's back to celebrate the paperback release of his terrific book, Tell Me What You Want. Takes a few of your questions. We bat them around together. That's on the Magnum. All coming up on today's show. Me Undies makes feel-good underpants your butt will be proud to wear and you will be proud to be seen in. They will be the most comfortable pair of underwear you will ever own. And to check it out yourself, go to MeUndies.com slash savage. This episode of The Lovecast is brought to you by the good folks at Squarespace. They make it easy to build a beautiful website, blog, or online store. Head on over to squarespace.com slash savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SAVAGE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep, the best mattress for your individualized comfort. Right now, my listeners get up to $200 off all mattress orders at helixsleep.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I'm a 30-something cis bisexual male calling from the Midwest, and I wanted to share my quarantine sex story with you. My boyfriend and I have been dating for about a year, and while we don't live together, we have been exclusively seeing each other during quarantine. I showed up at his apartment uh, the other night and walked in to complete silence and no one to be seen. I looked towards the bedroom door and saw a makeshift cardboard wall taped up to the side with a hole cut out in the middle uh, and a cloth over that. So I sauntered over and a finger reached out from the hole and directed me to drop my pants. I removed my pants and proceeded to receive an unbelievable glory hole blowjob from my boyfriend. We attempted to have sex through the glory hole, but the cardboard wasn't quite strong enough. Um, but it was one of the best blowjobs I've ever received. And we have made use of that makeshift cardboard glory hole wall a couple of times since. Um, but thought that it was a really fun way to mix things up after having a lot of sex during quarantine and finding a new way to keep it interesting. Thank you for calling in and sharing your quarantine and sex success story. Just two things. Sauntered, sauntering. That's a word more people should use. I love that word. And you say you tried to have sex through that glory hole, but couldn't. But you got the most amazing blowjob. So indeed, you did have sex through that glory hole. You just didn't have anal intercourse through that glory hole. Sorry to be pedantic about this, but it's one of my little pet peeves when people suggest that oral sex ain't sex, even though sex is oral sex's last name. If you'd like to call in and share your quarantine or sex success story, please do. And we might share it at the top of next week's podcast. Hey, Dan Savage. I'm in a relationship with a guy that I've been in for about a year. He lives with his best friend who has been around for about eight years or so. And the last couple of months, I've just noticed 
their relationship is a little bit too intimate, in my opinion. Um, there's a lot of ass grabbing. There's a lot of awkward hugging. There was also a couple times where his roommate would insinuate some things towards me when he was drinking as far as him never being with a guy or the things that he thought about doing with a guy. And it just made me feel very uncomfortable. So I have confronted my partner about this multiple times. Um, it always leads to an argument. So we have resorted to some sort of counseling because of that. Um, but I just feel like it's hard for me to trust my partner when his roommate is throwing these sexual provocative things towards me and my my partner. So I feel like the counseling is going to be good for us, but I don't know what I should do about said roommate. I'm at a point to where I wanted to just say fuck it all and break up with them because of this, because this is the only reason that's bringing controversy into this relationship. So I'm kind of wondering, like, what do I do? Do I, should I confront this guy? Should I tell him to keep his fucking hands to himself and his words with him being a friend of his for eight years? And we've been dating for about a year. I kind of feel like, you know, that friendship is held at a higher stature than what we have. So I don't want it to be much of a controversy, but at the same time, I don't know what the hell to do. So your boyfriend has known and been friends with and lived with this guy for eight years and the guy isn't gay. You don't say he's straight, but you say he's never been with a man, but he's touchy, feely, grabby, insinuaty in ways with you that make you uncomfortable and in ways with your boyfriend that make you feel very uncomfortable. Well, obviously there's something there. There's something to this relationship. It sounds like they have an intimate friendship and a romantic friendship. And that is indeed sometimes a thing. And maybe your boyfriend relied on this guy for a great deal of emotional intimacy when he was single, when he didn't have someone in his life that could give him the whole package, the sex and the intimacy and the romance. A quick digression about emotional intimacy. It can definitely be a problem when your romantic and intimate partner has a romantic-ish friendship, an intimate connection with someone else that rivals or supplants yours. But often people make a problem out of a romantic or intimate relationship, a romantic friendship or intimate connection with someone else, their partner's romantic or intimate connection with someone else, because we have these unrealistic expectations about relationships. And one of those unrealistic expectations is that I should be all things to my boyfriend or my husband, that I should provide him with all intimacy, friendship. I should be his best friend and his lover, and he shouldn't need to turn to anyone else or any sort of emotional support. That puts a lot of strain on a relationship to have to be all things to someone else. And also, realistically, we can't be all things to someone else. And our partners sometimes need the emotional support, the, the friendly, which some people can misinterpret as romantic attentions of other people in their lives, of other friends. They need those connections. But we have this culture that tells us that, you know, our romantic partner or our spouse, we should be all things to that person and that person should be all things to us. And if we perceive that they're getting anything from anybody else that they ought to be getting from us, that that's a problem. I would warn you to be on your guard against that. What you describe sounds out of control, out of hand, kind of not what I'm talking about. But I've seen people exaggerate what it is that they're witnessing. 
and claim that their boyfriend is neglecting them or having an emotional affair with someone else when all their boyfriend is guilty of is having a fucking friend who doesn't happen to be you and you want your boyfriend to have friends who aren't you. And it's fine for your boyfriend to have some friends that maybe you don't get along with and that he hangs out with when you're not around and vice versa. You should also have those relationships and those kinds of friendships and get that kind of emotional support from elsewhere. You kind of face a choice here between demanding your boyfriend eject his roommate from his life, from his affections, establish some healthy boundaries or demand that your boyfriend or get your boyfriend gradually to ease this guy out of his life. And you do that by sticking it out, by putting up with it. I mean, establishing boundaries. If you don't want him touching you or saying creepy shit to you, you should say that and he should stop. And if he doesn't stop and your boyfriend claims to love you and he sides with the roommate, well, then your boyfriend doesn't love you and the boyfriend will have to go. But you can ask him to stop and then stick around. And if he stops, great. And you can't police their behavior when they're alone together without you. Of course, but if he's able to be respectful of you, your personal space, your feelings and knock off the grabby and the insinuations when you are around, all right, then stick around and eventually you'll become more and more important to your boyfriend. Hopefully more intimacy will grow, romance will grow, and maybe then at some point you'll move in with your boyfriend and he'll move out uh, of the apartment that he shares with his creepy, maybe closeted, touchy-feely, grabby roommate. And you will have supplanted the roommate and he will diminish in importance and you will see him getting smaller and smaller in the interpersonal relationship rearview mirror. But that requires you to have patience and to put up with this guy's presence, if not his shit. Don't put up with his shit, but you might have to put up with his presence. And the only way to figure out whether that'll be worth it is to ask yourself if this guy that you're dating is worth that kind of long game. And if he is, maybe you play it. And if he's not, well, then you end it. Sleep is so important during these insane times. It is crucial for our mental health, as of course is sex also crucial for our mental health. And to ensure the best possible experience with both those activities, sleeping and sexing, I advise you to get yourself a Helix Sleep Mattress. It is the best bed you could possibly own. Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Everybody's unique and Helix knows that. So they have several different mattress models to choose from. They have soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Mattress is great for cooling you down if you sleep hot and even a Helix Plus mattress for plus size folks. Everything is made here in America. Everything from Helix has a 10-year warranty and you get to try it out for a hundred nights risk-free. If you don't love Helix, they will pick it up for you and you will get a full refund. Helix also actively designs their mattresses with sex in mind. Seems obvious, seems like something all mattress companies should do, but they don't. Helix does. All of their mattresses are hybrids, meaning they have both foam and springs in them, unlike so many other companies. And having springs in your mattress rather than just foam keeps you from sinking in too much and gives you the perfect level of bounce. Their high-quality springs are incredibly quiet and won't sag even during your most athletic non-sleep activities. Helix mattresses also have strong edge support thanks to their reinforced coil perimeter. This keeps things stable so you never have to worry about rolling off the bed no matter what you're doing on it. 
Terry and I took the quiz and we got a mattress with medium firmness because we both tend to move around at night and we've been sleeping on Helix all year and we both love it. As much as we love our Helix, and we do, you don't need to take our word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. You can go to helixsleep.com slash savage, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they will match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They're also offering $200 off and two free pillows at helixsleep.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I am a queer poly person. I am married and I have a committed partner. And basically, I just found out recently that my husband was on a first date with somebody and things kind of went all the way and they didn't use protection. And of course, like we haven't slept together since then. I mean, I guess not, of course. So we haven't slept together since then. So that's fine. But I kind of don't know, like, We've been doing this for like six years and I don't know, like, I, <laughs> I don't know how to like reconcile, like I'm a new compromise. So like, I'm really particularly careful with like physical safety and he got tested of course, like right away and she won't get tested and feel slut shamed by asking. And I know it's a lot to ask, I guess. I don't know her. She could be anybody. I guess that's why I'm so surprised that like they hooked up on the first date, especially with like the COVID stuff. I don't know. I just feel it feels like one of those situations where once you screw the pooch, it's done, right? Is that is that the situation? I don't know if it's done. There are certainly couples out there whose relationships survived similar betrayals, similar violations, and they worked through it and got past it. So the question isn't whether or not this is done. The question is whether it's worth working on, whether you're willing to go see a couple's counselor together, whether you're ever able again to feel safe with him. He behaved in a tremendously reckless manner with disregard for your health and your safety, and not just your emotional health and safety, but your physical health and safety. You say you are immunocompromised, which is one of the reasons you are very, very careful about outside sexual contacts and have a condom rule, which isn't setting the bar too terribly high or asking too much from your husband. That's a condition of our having an open relationship. You do have to use condoms with randos. And this woman is the ultimate definition of a rando. This is a first date. He knows nothing of this woman or how trustworthy she is when she claims to be disease-free, if indeed she is disease-free. And this woman... She doesn't owe you anything. She doesn't owe your husband anything. If she doesn't want to get tested, if she feels that she was asked to be tested in a rude or shaming way because you guys were rude or you shamed her or because she's reacting defensively, she isn't obligated to go get tested. Your husband, however, all the obligations to make this up to you, to make it right, to convince you that this can work again, whether you guys continue on in an open relationship or close it back up until you feel like you can trust him with the hall pass again. All of that's on him. He needs to get tested. You say he did get tested. Great. We'll see what those results are when they come back. He also needs to be tested and pushed and confronted by a couple's counselor with you in the room. People make mistakes in the heat of the moment. People get carried away. People think with their crotches and not just people with penises. Everybody is capable of 
fucking up in a spectacular way and betraying their partner and doing something stupid and that they regret. And sometimes after we do something incredibly stupid and that we regret very much, the takeaway isn't, I will do that again. I'll get away with that again. Did that once and the relationship survived. So obviously you can do that again. Sometimes people tiptoe up to that precipice, stare into the abyss and learn their fuck and jump into the abyss a little bit, maybe bungee jump, come right back out and learn their fucking lesson and never do that fucking shitty thing again because they see what they risk and they carry that scalding lesson with them forever into all of their future sexual encounters. They know not to do X because X, when they did it that one time, almost burned down their life or the life they shared with their partner. If indeed their partner is still there. And that is the question that's up in the air right now. Are you still going to be there? And I can't fix that for you. And I can't answer that question, whether you're done or not today, that's a decision you're going to have to make. And that decision will be informed by what you see from him in counseling. Once you get past the tap dancing and the abject apologies and you get to the root of what was going on here. And, you know, sometimes people want to attach deeper meaning or significance. You know, at the ultimate root of what was going on here, the reason he did this is he has intimacy issues because his parents, no, 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 no. He was horny and in the moment and did something colossally stupid and stopped thinking and wasn't taking you into consideration. That's what's at the root of this, how bad he feels about it, how sincere his apology and his desire to make it up to you and make it right. That's what you need to glean before you can make your decision about whether you're done with him or not. It's going to take some time. And you can make this call right now. Is it worth it? Do you derive enough pleasure, joy, and satisfaction from this marriage and from being in relationship with him to do the work with him that needs to be done to save the marriage? And if the answer to that question is no, then yeah, it's done. But if you would like to stay with him, well, then Get thee to a couple's counselor. Get the both of your asses to a couple's counselor. Go. And soon, three to six months, you'll know whether you want to stick around. You'll know for sure whether you're done or not. Have you seriously considered your underwear? Like really, really thought about your underpants? You've got some important stuff down there. And Me Undies is the best way to honor the important stuff you carry around in your underpants every day. Me Undies has softer than soft, sustainable undies that come in fun prints like unicorns and jellyfish and GI Joes with lots of colors so you can be totally comfy, feeling like you and being you inside and out, inside your pants and when your pants are off. And with Me Undies, you will not run out of underwear as you approach laundry day. That's no way to treat yourself, running out of underwear, pulling underpants out of the hamper and smelling them before you put them on because they're not that bad yet. You don't have to live like that because with a MeUndies membership, that anxiety is gone forever. A MeUndies membership is a monthly subscription that sends new pairs right to your door so you can keep your undies drawer stocked, fresh, and fun. Plus, with member access to site-wide savings and exclusive sales, you can easily and affordably build up a quality collection of super soft undies over time. Nancy's drawers overflow with drawers. Her problem is which pair to choose each day and also making sure her daughters don't get to her faves first before she grabs them out of the laundry. Me and Terry have different styles we prefer, so there's nothing but underwear harmony in our home. And speaking of, MeUndies offers matching pairs where you and your partner can order undies with the same exact prints. In other words, match your bottom half to your better half. MeUndies are available in a range of sizes from XS to 4XL. And MeUndies has a great offer for my listeners. 
For any first-time purchasers, you get 15% off and free shipping. And MeUndies has a 100% satisfaction guarantee. To get your 15% off your first order, free shipping, and 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com slash savage. That's MeUndies.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. Long-time listener here from Australia. So I'm a size queen. It's really, really easy for me to have a hands-free orgasm from from penetrative sex um, if the guy's really well endowed. That's not to say that I haven't had really powerful orgasms with dudes I've dated with small dicks, and I'm certainly not shaming people with small dicks, but my body really responds to length. I'm curious if you can speak with a professional that can advise on this. If I was to get like a yoni egg, which is like a polished round egg stone sort of thing that you put in your vagina, um, if I was to put that in myself or an equivalent shape and then get a guy to fuck me, would the impact of his penis hitting that object and then in turn hitting me do you think that that would feel the same as just having a regular long dick? Is that a safe thing to do? Are there any experts that you know that have maybe a bit of knowledge on this particular subject or has any listener ever done it either? I could perhaps call in an expert or two, but I'm just going to go out on a limb here and declare this a bad idea that will not work. It's the kind of thing that if it did work, I probably would have heard about it by now 30 years into this. Some people like length. Some people really like some women. Some people with vaginas and uteruses like that feeling of the cervix getting banged around by an extra long dick. And if it was just a matter of shoving a yoni egg or a Benoit ball up your vagina to recreate that sensation with shorter dicked men, I think I would have heard about it by now. As a dick haver, though, myself, I have to say that if you put that egg in your vaginal canal and the guy is hard and excited and wants to have sex with you, he's not going to be hard or excited about having sex for you for long once his dick starts slamming into the egg, sometimes jade, sometimes made of marble, sometimes steel, that you've jammed up your vaginal canal. There are other ways to turn a short-dicked man into a long-dicked Man, not to shame the short-dicked guys. Dicks of all shapes and sizes. I am a fan. Some people like girth. Some people really dig length. And some people it's not relevant. Some people actually prefer smaller or narrower to each his own. You like them big and you like them long. If you're with somebody and it's a one-night stand or whatever and it hasn't turned into a relationship you say you've enjoyed guys with smaller dicks and had orgasms with guys with average dicks, and that's great. You should keep doing that. If you wind up in a romantic relationship with somebody, a long-term, particularly sexually exclusive romantic relationship with someone who doesn't have the length that slams your cervix in the way that you like to have your cervix slammed, and that person is secure enough to have a conversation about supplements, there are supplements out there. There are things called cock sheaths. That's cock sheath. You can wear them on your dick. It's basically kind of a cock ring with a dildo attached to it. Some of them, the guy's dick goes inside. It's hollow. It's a hollow dildo, and you wear it on your dick, and you can suddenly have a big dick. Everybody can have a big dick for as long as they'd like to have a big dick. You can have a giant dick temporarily if you'd like to have 
a giant dick. In addition to the ones that are sort of hollow dildos that the cock goes inside, there are ones that have like sort of a cock ring and then a dildo that has a divot in it that the guy's dick can rest inside and he can fuck you with that and it can be a little longer. He gets all the sensations of intercourse and can provide you every once in a while as a treat with the big dick dicking that you miss because you chose to be with him and you enjoy his dick and you have orgasms on his dick and everything. But every once in a while he can slam it home for you. If he's secure enough to wear a cock sheath and enjoy a cock sheath and enjoy what a cock sheath can do for his girlfriend. I don't mean to sound like your mother or anything, but have you made your website yet? You said you were going to get that done while you had the time. No, you don't need any technical help. That's no excuse. Not when you use Squarespace. They make it easy to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store without having massive web design or coding skills. It's intuitive, simple to use, and genuinely the most efficient way to get a website up quickly. There's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. They have great-looking templates that you just drop in and it looks good right away. You can collaborate with other members of your group, all your little friends. Do an email blast. Connect with social media. Get set up with commerce. That means you make some money, pretty much anything you need for a website. Squarespace is way ahead of you and they've thoughtfully included it. Lane built my band's website using Squarespace and it's worked out great. Thanks, Lane. Head on over to squarespace.com slash savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code savage to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash savage and use the offer code savage. Hi, Dan. I'm a cisgender straight female who's been dating a guy, actually dating on the phone a couple of weeks and just met him and really, really liked him a couple of days ago. Anyway, I have a question about talking to a new partner about their sexual preference. Something about him or maybe it's the, the comments he makes just make me think that he might be interested in both sexes and I just want to know, how do you ask someone that? And when is it appropriate to ask? We are not sexual yet or haven't been, but I am interested in sex with him. So I would also like him to know that that's something that I'm open to. You could ask him a direct question. Hey, are you bi? Or considering you haven't met yet, you're still early in this relationship, you could go out on a much sturdier and safer limb and just make an I statement when you guys are sharing information about your sexual lives or histories in advance of actually getting together and initiating the sexual relationship, you could just toss out there, I've always been attracted to bi guys. That's not you saying, hey, are you bi? That's you stating a fact about yourself. You're not asking him a question. It's possible he's dropped these hints. Maybe it's clitful thinking on your part. Maybe he hasn't dropped hints because you'd be very into him being bi and he said a few things that were vague or perhaps open to that interpretation and clipful thinking that's where your head went but it's also possible that he's legitimately dropping hints and afraid to just say it and he's testing the waters a lot of sort of straight identified straight presenting straight default or straight assumed guys out there who are actually bisexual have been rejected by women by potential female romantic partners who can't deal who aren't into it who aren't you and rather than risk outright rejection so early on in the relationship you haven't even met in person yet he's dropped a hint or two to see how you might react because he's working up the courage to come out to you maybe maybe that's what's going on 
I think the quickest way, you know, if you ask him, are you bi? He might think you're not into it. He might think that that's a problem for you, that you're busting him. But if you say, I've always been into bi guys, it's just a statement of fact. And then it turns out he is actually bi. He will let you know, probably in that instant, probably right the fuck away. So I statements, I statements, I statements. They're always so helpful. I'm also a fan of the direct question, but sometimes the I statement is the way to go. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the tech savvy at risk youth. I am turning 30 tomorrow. I'm a cisgendered female living in the South. And my question is simple. I don't think I yet fully understand my sexuality and whom I'm attracted to. I have been primarily, or only rather, with men, but I don't think that I'm not attracted to women, and I'm still kind of just figuring it out. And my question is, is 30 too late to be figuring all this out? I am an entire adult human older than you are. I am an entire adult human who could own a car, have bought a house, already have kids older than you are. And there are still things about my sexuality that I am figuring out, that I have been discovering even at my advanced age. So yeah, 30 is not too late. 30 is certainly not too late to be figuring out who you are sexually. You've had a lot of straight sex. You've had boyfriends. Maybe you're into women too. If you're asking yourself that question, then of course it's possible that you are into women and you might want to put yourself out there and find one and date her. Sometimes the hesitation with people who, women, particularly who've been straight identified all their lives and only had opposite sex partners, male partners all their lives, when they're interested in dating other women or having sex with another woman, they have this anxiety that, you know, they're going to be rejected by all the lesbians, all the mean ass lesbians out there in the world who aren't into bi women, who shame bi women, who don't want to be the piece on the side of some woman, don't, don't, don't want to be somebody's experiment. To them, I say, to women like you who have that nervous anxiety about putting yourself out there, I say, there are a lot more bi-curious, so far in their lives, straight-identified women out there than there are actual lesbians. So rather than seeking out a lesbian, seek out another woman in your shoes. Seek out another woman who's experimenting and exploring and isn't sure and still has questions about her sexuality or sexual orientation, whether she's biromantic, bisexual, heteroromantic, heteroflexible, whatever it might be. You can find another woman like you. You are likelier to find another woman like you out there because there are more women like you out there than there are lesbians out there. But no, of course, 30 is not too late. And if you tell yourself 30 is too late, well, then you're just going to be asking the same question when you're 35 or when you're 40 when you're 45, get out there, have an experience, see how you like it. Maybe you'll get a definitive answer, a final answer that first time, or maybe you'll still be figuring it out, still be asking yourself these questions for the rest of your life. But if asking yourself these questions prompts you to have adventures and experiences and learn more and experiment more and experience more throughout your life, well, then maybe it's better that we never know the answer, ultimately. Hey, Dan. I'm calling with a COVID unlove story. Long story short, I developed feelings for a coworker that's married that I also have a lot 
a friend circles with yada 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 that old cliche um developed really strong feelings for him and then covid hit and i suddenly don't see him anymore because of the social distancing rules and it kind of felt like a breakup it kind of felt like he was being ripped out of my life and i i didn't expect to have to grieve someone and then now that covid has been here i've had time to really sit and think and process through my feelings for him and the best methods of getting away from him so that i don't make any mistakes and i think that now that we're entering phase 2 in king county i'm worried about what it's going to feel like to spend more time around him and i i just want to approach it cautiously with a level head and don't really have many social opportunities to bounce these things off of friends at bars yada 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 i feel stuck and i live in a studio apartment by myself so i thought i'd reach out you may not have to worry about heading into phase 2 because so many people are out there being reckless idiots right now that some places that have gone into phase 2 or phase 3 of reopening are reverting to phase 1 and phase 0 and shutting shit back down again so you may not face the problem of having to face your coworker that you have this long standing crush on again anytime soon that said you're single they're partnered you have a crush on them People talk about crushes in in a weird way as if you can't have more than one at a time as if some subsequent or future crush can't supplant the problematic if it's a problem crush that you are having right now. People talk about crushes like they're I don't know, giant turds that have to work their way fully through your system before you can take some other shit. Not true. And sometimes when you have a problematic or impossible crush like on a coworker who has no interest in being sexual with you or whose life you could destroy because they're tempted to be sexual with you and they shouldn't be by opening up to them about your crush or acting on it together with them and with their consent but in violation of their vows yes sometimes you have to just have to wait that out and and stuff it down and waiting it out and stuffing it down is easier if you are opening yourself up to other people in your orbit in your life out there in the world maybe online right now because getting out there in the world like you said you can't go to bars isn't possible but there are tons of people who are doing online dating right now if you can find someone else who sparks in you the same feelings that your coworker sparked in you and then fan that ember you know that spark that somebody else gives you pay attention to that fan that instead of obsessing about your coworker and now i'm going to get myself in a little bit of trouble. I don't always think acting on a crush on someone who is married to someone else is a problem. Of course, there are married people in open relationships. There are also married people who are trapped in shitty marriages, shitty relationships that they can't exit because their partner is dependent on them financially or they're dependent on their partner financially or they have kids together and just the stresses and strains of daily life, particularly right now, make exiting the relationship impossible and sometimes those people are doing what they need to do to stay married and stay sane and that can mean an affair and as long as you as the affair partner in a situation like that where someone is doing what they need to do to stay married and stay sane and they want to stay married so long as you as the affair partner know that you are playing a kind of utilitarian role in that person's life and you can keep your romantic expectations in check it can really be god's work 
to be the person who helped that person stay married and stay sane. And sometimes someone does what they need to do. They cheat, they break their vows, they do what they need to do to stay married and stay sane. And a few years later, the affair is over and the marriage, maybe some stressors are relieved or the kids get a little bit older uh, or they reconnect. Somehow the marriage revives and everyone's happier for the marriage to, to still be in the marriage, including the person who cheated and hopefully kept their mouth shut and stayed safe. And the person who cheated on who may be none the wiser or maybe knew and just didn't want to ask any questions and it was an unspoken DADT thing. To be that person. See, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't think it's always terrible to be the person who has a crush on someone who's married to someone else or even acts on that. But in the absence of any information about this dude's marriage or any indication from this dude that he is interested in any way for you to assess whether this is a – legit and I think permissible, do what you need to do to stay married and stay sane situation, or he's just a cheating piece of shit and a serial adulterer that you wouldn't want to get mixed up with, absent that kind of information, I don't think that you should act on this crush. Go find some other crush, maybe masturbate about this guy a little bit here and there, and keep it to yourself. All right, before we get to your response calls, let's read some of your tweets. Call your bluff tweets if that fake Dan Savage is right and that FinDom was the kink that emerged from the 2008 recession, then I'm fairly sure spitting and kissing as kinks will be more of a thing over the next several years. Yes, I absolutely think that's going to happen or that's going to continue to happen. People spitting in each other's mouths seem to become a big thing on porn and a big thing in relationships over the last five or six years, and I'm sure now that ingesting somebody else's saliva seems so dangerous and transgressive and taboo that once we can do that again, yeah, we're going to want to do that again. We're going to want to drink each other's spit so bad. Charmaze tweets, my daughter was at a loss for what to get me for my birthday when all the stores were closed. She put a bow on my iPad and got me a six-month subscription to the magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast, the gift that keeps on giving Thank you so much, daughter of Charmaine's, for getting your mom a subscription to the Magnum Savage Lovecast for her birthday and happy birthday, mom. And finally, Kawhi Phillip tweets, I love when at fake Dan Savage says that verse kids rule the world. It's a truth of the highest order. Please say there will be t-shirts. I want one in every color. I'm not bringing out another line of t-shirts myself. I just got out of the t-shirt business when we closed down ITMFA. But if somebody else wants to bring out a verse kids rule the world, line of t-shirts. You have my support and my permission. All right. If you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to include the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And now your response calls. Hi there, Dan. Just a comment on uh, the July 14th Savage Lovecast. 25-year-old gay guy was concerned because his boyfriend is 39 and the age difference was kind of freaking him out. I have a Stories like that from my past, that, that when it happened to me, I didn't really freak out. I'm in my late 50s now, but when I was 23, I met a man who was 40, and um, we were together for six years, and that relationship led to a lot of great things in my life, and I uh, don't regret a minute of it. Um, this was the late 80s and early 90s, and uh, my first boyfriend, uh, who was 17 years older than I was, he passed away due to complications of AIDS. So you just never know where something is going to lead. Don't be afraid of the age difference. You love him. He loves you. Even if it doesn't last forever, do it. 
Hey, Dan, I called about the Bear Week question in Provincetown. I just wanted to let you know that things turned out super well. I was driving distance. I was able to stay in a cabin by myself with about five friends nearby. The five of us hung out together, uh, no sexual activity, and the town was amazing. They had great social distancing, mandatory mask 24-7 on the main drag, uh, with it being enforced by police and these people called ambassadors that handed out masks. The restaurants all had great dividers and the shopping places really seemed to pay attention to social distancing and limits. So thanks for your great advice. And I had a wonderful time and I hope other people did too. I wanted to talk in regarding to your caller in 716. I too was in a relationship with a partner who spiraled out of control over the course of a year or so. We were together for almost 10 years and he would get depressed every once in a while. Things started getting more and more crazy, for lack of a better word. And it started taking a toll on me. And unfortunately, it resulted in us getting divorced. And in the months leading up to it, my mental health was taking a huge toll. Uh, it was really hard for me to enjoy myself when he wasn't able to enjoy anything. And I just wanted to say, stay strong. Do everything Dan said. I did almost the exact same thing. Make sure he has a safe place to land financially. Make sure that he's with family and people who care. And uh, life moves on, man. And place now, he's in a much better place now. And in general, it was the best decision I could have made. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Better yet, use the voice memo app on your phone to record your question. Better sound quality. And email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. Congrats to Ryan and James, listeners of the Savage Lovecast, who got married this weekend. Congrats, guys. Quick programming note, our upcoming Savage Love live stream, which was supposed to be later this month, we've had to postpone it. We will be rescheduling it as soon as we can, and we will let you know when that is going to happen, when we're going to do our next Savage Love live stream. Due to overwhelming demand, we've extended our run of Hump's Greatest Hits Volume 1 for two more weeks. Join us this Saturday, July 25th, and next Friday, July 31st, and you can catch some of our favorite dirty movies from 2005 through 2018. Just go to humpfilmfest.com to get your tickets. We've also extended the deadline for this year's Hump to December 4th, so you have more time to make a dirty movie yourself. Go to humpfilmfest.com slash submit and find out more. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Dr. Justin Lay Miller on Twitter at Justin Lay Miller. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. We'll all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading and registering to vote.